I had a friend in a woke church and this friend had adopted multiple children with different skin color than him and had done so out of love for Christ and then was told from the pulpit that his whiteness made him basically a beneficiary of white supremacy. This This, is from the pastor? Yeah, this is from a pastor. Wow. And he struggled to know how to deal with that. And his children, who are of different skin color than him, asked him on the way home if they were fundamentally at odds with one another, if he didn't like them by nature. And there had been a lot of different things I'd read about critical race theory and intersectionality and wokeness. But when that came into my mind, I just thought, this system is diabolical, man. There are hard things to track in American history. There are real historical failings. There's slavery, there's Jim Crow. So we can have a, we can have a vibrant discussion about racism and past failings in this country and whatever country you want to talk about. And we recognize that Christians have sometimes been on the wrong side of these issues. Yeah. So it's not a whitewash of any one group in my mind that we're trying to pull off. But fundamentally, if gospel-loving Christians who are adopting people in desperate circumstances out of love are being told they're a white supremacist, Houston, we have a problem. We have a professor in the house, Dr. Owen Strand, and he's sitting there thinking, what did I get myself into? (laughs) This is what we do here, Owen. Wow. So welcome to the insanity. We're so blessed to have you, my dear brother friend. Let me read your bio here, this very, very prominent bio. Owen Strand is provost and research professor of theology at Grace Bible Theological Seminary in Conway, Arkansas. He is senior fellow with the Family Research Council and the author of numerous books, including Reenchanting Humanity, the Pastor as Public Theologian with Kevin Van Hooser, and Always in God's Hands, Day by Day in the Company of Jonathan Edwards. Ooh, I gotta read that one. Married to Bethany, he is a father of three children and enjoys rowing Western films, Outlaw Country, and Churchill books. Hold on, did I put Outlaw Country in That's that bio? That's you put, man. That one slipped in there? <laughs> Oops. Uh-oh. That wasn't supposed to be public. You are a Churchill fan. You're sin. Oh, yeah. Oh, same here. I'm just blown away. I love his yeah. speech. Huge. Except when I quote him. Oh, please. Yeah. He's a baller, too. The worst uh, on thing a podcast, he did 400 quotes by Churchill, and it just got like sad. Yeah. He discovered Churchill on podcast, and then it was like 40 minutes of him quoting him. So, Owen, great to have you with us, brother. You're here in town doing some stuff uh, with Grace at the, the seminary and the school, for the masters, that is, but you're hanging out at the church, too. We're blessed to have you with us, blessed by the friendship that the Lord has developed between us and, and you and our ministry and excited about how God is using you as a voice. So today, we snagged you. You're in town. We're going to do three different podcasts for those of you that are listening. And today, we're recording this, actually, which we rarely do for people to watch, too. But uh, we're going to do Wokeness and Critical Race Theory. That's this podcast. And we're going to do Homosexuality. We'll talk about the institution of marriage, and then uh, Transgenderism, Womanhood, and Manhood. So we we got some heavy stuff for you. Some heat. And we're excited. So let's start off with this. You know, you've kind of as we talk about wokeness and critical race theory, you've kind of become the voice, I would say today, or a prominent voice, one of the prominent voices within uh, Christianity. Uh, <laughs> it's watering it down slowly. Voice. Uh, you, just, uh, you said a thing. Of, uh, <laughs> At one point you said a thing. <laughs> warm, Some people listen. Same levels up. <laughs> a lukewarm voice. You see how I kept degrading uh-huh. the poor brother? <laughs> God's trying to humble you today, man. Yeah, uh, it worked. Uh, but you no, bring one of 400 books on the subject. <laughs> But, but God has given you a platform, and 
the first time I heard you speak was at our church, Kindred Community Church. I, I believe Mark was there then too. And I think what refreshed me was the combination of truth and passion at the same time. And also what I've heard from you and, and hearing you talk to others that are in those sorts of camps, a godly gentleness while speaking hard compassion. truth. Yeah, sure. compassion. Good way to put it, Mark. So how did you get to a place where you felt you really had to speak to this issue? Because you're doing it in a big way. Yeah, thank you for the kind words. Basically, I had been hearing, like a lot of people, different tremors in culture and seeing different shifts in evangelicalism toward what we would call wokeness. And by wokeness, I just mean waking up to the nature of systemic racism and injustice in America and and then becoming a kind of foot soldier in the revolution to change America from a systemically racist country to a just one or a different country as well. You can transpose wokeness to other societies if you want. And it was really when I had a friend in a woke church and this friend had adopted multiple children with different skin color than him and had done so out of love for Christ and then was told from the pulpit that his whiteness made him basically a beneficiary of white supremacy. This, this from the pastor? Yeah, this from a pastor. Wow. And he struggled to know how to deal with that. And his children, who are of different skin color than him, asked him on the way home if they were fundamentally at odds with one another, if he didn't like them by nature. And there had been a lot of different things I'd read about critical race theory and intersectionality and wokeness. But when that came into my mind, I just thought, this system is diabolical, man. There are hard things to track in American history. There are real historical failings. There's slavery, there's Jim Crow. So we can have a, we can have a vibrant discussion about racism and past failings in this country and whatever country you want to talk about. And we recognize that Christians have sometimes been on the wrong side of these issues. Yeah. So it's not a whitewash of any one group in my mind that we're trying to pull off. But fundamentally, if gospel-loving Christians who are adopting people in desperate circumstances out of love are being told they're a white supremacist, Houston, we have a problem. Oh. And this is a gospel-influencing and affecting problem. This is teaching people that there's a new layer of sin for them to confess. You, you didn't know you were structurally a racist, but in a neo-Marxist framing, because you belong to this group, this oppressor group, like Marx would set it up economically, this is racially applied, because you're, you're in the majority group, you inherently are a racist and, uh, and have new sin to confess you didn't know about. So that wow. was some of what brought me into the discussion publicly. So it, it was this kind of provoking on the basis of, of what you began to see happening and at the church level. So I, I want you to, to define some things for us just so the people listening can understand what we're talking about and you can help even better inform us. But Ray, we've talked about uh, racism before on one of our podcasts, talked about how you wrote a booklet called It's Sin, Not Skin. Speak to the issue of how so often people don't understand that there are forces at work behind these things. It's not just what we see on the surface level, but there's, there's a demonic agenda. Of course, you're wrestling not against flesh and blood, against principalities and powers and spiritual weakness in high places. You know, I was just thinking about this whole issue of, of race and wondering if we've progressed since the days of Martin Luther King. Have we? Have we do, do you think we've progressed or we've gone backwards? I think we had progressed, as you say, but I think in recent years we've been taken back into a kind of racial division that 
is very attractive. And that's what this has done, yeah. right? I've never seen anything in, the, in church history since I've been alive that has taken us these two steps back. The world we expect, but within the church, it's alarming. It reminds me of a lynching mob. You ever watch those old movies where some guy's in a prison and he's going to be tried and suddenly they all say, no, we're going to try him ourselves. We think he's guilty and they break down and hang him. Yeah. You know, it's, it's like it's a lawlessness. You know, I, I've, got a, I've, I've had a frustration for over 40 years as a Christian. I don't think I knew frustration like it before I was a Christian. The frustration is that we have got the answer to the world's problems. We're like a doctor with a cure to every disease there is, and no one believed the doctor. It sounds too good to be true. It's not true sort of thing. Wow. And yet the gospel is the cure to every ill of man. You look at the, the greatest sermon ever preached by the greatest preacher who ever lived and the greatest book that contains it, the Sermon on the Mount, right in the middle of it, the 12 words that Jesus said answer the whole of the problems and ails of mankind. Yeah. Do unto others as you have them do to you. That fixes everything. I was just thinking, is there a problem that isn't solved by that? Mm-hmm. There's not. No, the answer is is the gospel. And look at the outworkings of the gospel. And I want to get into the gospel as a solution as we progress. But look at the outworkings of the gospel. Look at the men seated around this table. You've got an Arab, a Jew. You've got a Mexican brother here. You've got what? I have no idea what you're He's got you a Mormon. Are. He's got a Mormon back. Oh, yeah. The, 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 transcendent, yeah, the, the uh, descendant Joseph of Joseph Smith. Smith. Uh, we've got Owen here. Uh, what, what's Scottish? So- whatever. Scottish. Soccer. Yeah. Greatness. Yeah. White boy. Whatever. It's all right. I mean, it's but, relative. But look at this. We're we're around this table here. We all love each other, and we're you. <laughs> <laughs> Most of us love each other. Mark, get that off the Bible. See, I don't know. See, I don't know if Mark does love me. He wants to drive me crazy. Anyway, um, sorry, but, we've got to explain that. Yeah. Easy's a perfectionist, and anything that's out of place, he has to fix. He's fixing my face all the time. All the time, <laughs> right? I still can't get your nose <clears> tested. <throat> I still got to work on it. <laughs> but the, the outworkings of the gospel, it's amazing. So, all right, Owen, yep. break it down for us. Define wokeness, critical race theory, maybe even intersectionality. Yeah, wokeness being awake to the nature of your society or community as systemically unjust and then becoming not just aware of that, but an activist against that wicked public order. Critical race theory is the academic theory that seeks to uncover racial power dynamics in a given community and then assess how those can be made right through action, through social justice, as it's often called. Social justice is the movement that strives to bring equity to society, which basically ends up meaning equality of outcome, where we might talk about equity, but probably we would be meaning equality of opportunity, that we want everybody to have equal access to opportunity as much as is possible. That's not really what social justice folks and advocates mean. They mean they want everybody to basically have the same conditions. So sort of a soft socialist vision. And then intersectionality is the body of activism that reads minority groups as collectively having shared interests over against power groups, majority groups. And again, as I said a few minutes ago, this is all based in a neo-Marxist framework. So Marx and Engels, 150 years ago, 1871, published the Communist Manifesto. And in it, they debut this argument that if you are rich or you have access to the means of production, you're an oppressor, basically. And if you don't have that stuff, you are an oppressed person. 
you're oppressed economically. And so in the mid-20th century, the Frankfurt School and others apply that in what's called the system of critical theory to show how traditional religious culture is shot through with privilege and evil. And now it's being applied racially. And so those power dynamics obtain in all sorts of categories. So thin people are the norm. So fat people are oppressed by thin people. Able-bodied people are the norm in our society, so disabled people are oppressed. Mm. Straight people are the norm, so sexual minorities are oppressed. White people are the norm, people of color oppressed. Short people? On and on. No one ever talks about that one. <laughs> no, but I'm bringing it up, buddy. We've got to insert that one into the, the conversation. The That's, That's right. good. I think it's valuable to add to what you're saying in the sense that, because you use neo-Marxism and you're absolutely right, Marx was looking at the world on the heels of the Industrial Revolution. And as he was looking at it, he was seeing issues that we would all take with. He was seeing child labor issues and things of that nature. But the problem that he did through his writings is that he turned everything into a power dynamic. So anytime there was oppression, anytime there was poverty, it was a derivative of power dynamics. And so for him, it started with economic power dynamics. And then you mentioned Frankfurt School, started in Germany, moved over to the US. What they did, to your point, is they took everything that Marx was saying, added a little bit of a Freudian view of it, and started adding critical theory to everything, to social structures such as men and women, race and color, so that anytime there's a disagreement It is due to power, either the oppressor trying to keep power or the oppressed trying to take power. And so to somebody who's looking at the world through a Marxist view, let me just simplify it as much as possible. If a husband and a wife are disagreeing with one another, the dynamics of the disagreement are less important through the lens of critical theory in general. And instead, what you look at or what you emphasize is, is the husband a male trying to oppress or control or show dominance to the wife, the female? And is the wife, the female, then trying to take back power and authority inside the relationship? So now the argument, the disagreement, the quarrel doesn't really matter. What matters is this power structure. And and so you take that kind of small view And you look at all of the issues that we face, whether it's race or poverty, and you start looking at it through power structures, Mm -hmm. which of course takes away from the real issues at play. Again, going back to the husband and wife, whatever their disagreement may be, the husband may be right or may be wrong, but it doesn't have to be over power. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And intersectionality along with that says all those different minority groups that are oppressed have intersecting claims of oppression. And so basically all those groups can partner together and make common cause against straight, white, heteronormative, Christian, male oppression. Yeah. It acts almost as a rating system, right? So if you're white and straight and a male, you're on the hierarchy. But if you are a female and you're black and you're overweight and you're a lesbian, well, you're on the very bottom of the structure and everybody in between is then aligned accordingly, according to this rating system of intersectionality. We love to give things away. We love to give things away. And that's why we will do that every single day here on the Living Waters Podcast. That's right, friends. We're giving away goodies. 
Keys. For those of you who go to livingwaters.com forward slash podcast and fill out the form, we are giving 10, believe it or not, 10 different people each week goodies from Living Waters, $100 value for each box. You'll get tracts and books and a podcast mug and all kinds of good things. So make sure to participate at livingwaters.com forward slash podcast. And make sure to listen to the very end of the podcast where you will hear the announcement of the winners every week. You know, Mark, I'm curious, what are your thoughts on how much modern technology plays into this coming to the forefront now, right? As opposed to in other times when, of course, there were gripes and people had issues and different philosophies. But do you think modern technology has put this on steroids, social media, people constantly interacting on it? Consider that big tech is controlling what we learn. So the accessibility of news, whether it's fake or real, is what is now leading the next generation to think and believe and now that has ramifications, right? Right. So it doesn't matter what you believe, the left would say, as long as you believe exactly what we believe, <laughs> right? So we, we have this free thought and this exchange of ideas. This is what kind of makes the world go around. And you look at the universities, the way these, these have evolved through the ages, that it was once a bastion of a place where we can teach students how to critically think through things. So we'd be giving them problems to solve, Think through this. And if you need help trying to think through how this is supposed to be, you have your classmates to go through. Nowadays, if you have a problem with this, go to the teacher and the teacher will tell you what the answer is. You're no longer allowed to think on your own, right? So we've seen with Donald Trump being censored on a place where is this a uh, publishing company or is this a platform? What, what, What is happening here with big tech? So things are changing. But what is for sure and what is certain is simply this. We will tell you what to believe. Never before have we seen this, at least inside the United States, where we are telling you exactly what to believe. And if you don't believe what we believe, well, then you're off base. Yeah. Let me look at that from just a slightly different angle because you use technology, but I would even disseminate down to social media. I read a book about a year or two ago called The Madness of Crowds, and I cannot for the life remember who wrote it. So Douglas Murray. Thank you. It's a great book. Fascinating. And one of the things that he points out, because Ray was talking about mob mentality, and social media is designed to group us into these echo chambers. And the prevailing voice in that echo chamber is the loudest, the most obnoxious, the most angry at times. And everyone clings to that voice. So we literally have this social media mob mentality. And we find that. We find that to be true. Whatever echo chamber that you find yourself to be in, if you lean one way, you're inspired, you're encouraged to go all the way with it. And so technology provides a sort of a madness, a mob mentality where all of a sudden, if you're seeing racial issues in America, it's not enough to call out racism. You have to be anti-racist. It makes you push towards the furthest end of the spectrums. You know, Ray, I'd love to bring it down to a street level from a practical standpoint in terms of believers and sharing the gospel. Have you noticed any difference when you're witnessing to people, someone of color, acting toward you with a suspicion that you must be racist against them in, in times when you're witnessing? Only once. Just recently, a, a wonderful uh, black couple that I talked to, they said, why is everyone against you? Uh, us. Yeah. I said, I love you guys. And I really meant it. And it just, the, the barriers, but that was the guy I said to him, uh, 
You ever thought about the fact that it's not skin, it's sin? Hmm. And he went, whoa. I oh, that's right. That. I remember seeing that. Yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's a beautiful encounter we had. We just loved each other. And, and that's, the, that's the answer to the whole race issue. Amen. Okay, so Owen, I, I want you to speak to the Acts 17, 26, one blood dynamic, because yeah. this is something that is so key, I think, to believers understanding really what's going on, because it, immediately there's this perception that, hey, we're all these different races, as if though God created different types of races at the outset, and so we're all different. But speak to the one blood dynamic. Yeah, Acts 17, 26 shows us that we come from one man. So we come from a real historical Adam. There's a real historical fall that the Bible teaches us. And that means that we actually have far more in common than we have apart from one another. We're all made in God's image. We've all fallen in Adam. And yet even post fall, I believe we're still image bearers to the full. And we all have the same common need. We all need redemption. We need forgiveness of sin from God. So there are different ethnicities on this planet. And the scripture gives us categories for different ethnicities, different culture, different language, different cultural customs, these sorts of things. There's Greek terms for that that are used in the New Testament. There's laos and ethne and other terms we could mention. So we have Jew and Gentile who are distinct ethnicities, but they're not distinct in the sense that they're impossibly apart from one another. They just happen to be from different places or have different traditions, whatever it may be specifically. So we're not to understand ourselves as human persons in these little sectors cordoned off from one another, as if you have different skin color from me, you're a different form of humanity than I am. No, we're, we're made from one man. We have one common problem. We're commonly image bearers. And there's one solution given us by which to be made right, what Ray was talking about a minute ago. So we as Christians enfranchise the concept of ethnicity. We don't absolutize it. We don't make it the be all end all. In other words, oh, I'm Irish or I'm Scottish or Nigerian or Russian, whatever it may be. We don't say that's my identity fundamentally. That's all that's important about me. We do recognize though that that's what God made us to be. That's where he situated us. That's the culture he placed us in. And, and so that's not a necessarily a negative reality or an overly positive that's reality. That's the pre-appointing of the boundaries of our habitation that it talks about in that passage. That's right. That's exactly right. So that's not, that's not something we're scared about but that is not to be taken to the level of our, for example, Christian identity. Our Christian identity, our identity in Christ is far more important than whatever our heritage or our background is. Yeah. Even though we still can recognize that and be thankful for that and recognize it shaped us, fundamentally, when you come to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are one family with all who are in Christ. You are my brother. You are my sister. Full stop. End of story. Chosen mm. grace for real priesthood. Amen. Yeah. So, so in essence, though, what, what we're being told in Acts is that there's really just one race. Yes. And that we, as Ken Ham often says, we're just different shades of brown. We have different, different levels of melanin in our skin that's determining that. But we all trace our heritage back to the same father and mother. Yes. And I wish there was more of an understanding of that and more discourse on that, that that was touched on more by pastors and theologians, because I think there can be an aha moment there yeah. that, wait a minute, we're, we're, we're related, <laughs> yeah. we're united, we're one. So that's, that's really big. Well, if we're all different shades of brown, as, as we all agree here, the Abraham Lincoln quote, the idea that 
you know, none of us are exactly the same. None of, I mean, I'm not white. All right. The pages of that book is white. No, the evidence Bible. The evidence Bible. <laughs> put it close to the microphone, right? That we need to be careful because the moment we find somebody with lighter skin than ours, we will be a slave to them is what Lincoln had said. So when we don't go across the, the idea of skin, well, then we follow the area of intellect. The moment we find somebody smarter than us, then we are to be a slave to the person who's smarter than us. And then if that's not the case, well, then it's financial. The person with $1 more than us, then we're to be a slave to them. Where does it stop? Where does it start? Right? So this is why this will always be a gospel-centric issue. And this is what is blowing my mind with this subject, because we have men and women that have been so highly respectable, that have produced such amazing material up until this point, that are buying into this absolutely ridiculous ideology and listening to the world and using the world as their source of authority instead of the Bible. There's no neutral territory here, right? When we begin to listen to the world, we're listening to lies, and therefore we'll believe lies are truth. So somehow, someplace, we have strayed from the foundation of the truth, and Scripture says that we are sanctified by His Word, which is truth. So we need to hide it inside of our hearts. And uh, if we don't, then we'll go down any path in any aisle that'll lead us anywhere it might take us. Yeah, you make a good point, Mark. And I think that a part of the issue is that speaking of certain of maybe Christians in the church that are adopting very Marxist ideologies is that there's not a strong enough theological foundation for biblical justice, for what the scriptures tell us what justice and equality looks like. And I, you, you touched on this a little bit in chapter one. I pulled from your list. If I want, I want to read them to you and then I want to ask you a question. Sure. So you say, here are a few stances and convictions that are not woke. The following principles and actions are righteous standing from Christian wisdom, not from worldly system. Amen to that. You give 15 examples. I'm only going to share 18 of them. Uh, so here, here's a few. Wanting societal harmony across backgrounds and skin colors. Seeing massive failings in American and Western history, namely long and sustained patterns of racist thought and practice. Being troubled by Christians' complicity with racism in the past. Grieving the needless deaths of human beings who are made in the image of God and bear God-given dignity and purpose. Knowing that Jesus Christ was Middle Eastern, praying for greater diversity in our church, wanting greater justice in a world that is filled with hostility, pain, and injustice, working to be more thoughtful with one's language regarding personal differences, recognizing that you have in yourself the sinful potential to spew the hate of partiality and act on this in short or long-term ways, identifying trembling trends of partiality in one's national, regional, communal, or family heritage does not make you woke, nor does wanting to leave such evils behind. I really appreciated that you included this. I think some of the pushback is that people who are speaking out against critical race theory are ignoring the calls for biblical justice that the scriptures give us. So give me, if you could answer this, how could Christians kind of create a framework for themselves to be able to see properly injustices in the world and then go about being a part of a solution for that? Yeah, I think the, the problem of injustice is rooted so frequently in partiality, one, and then in opportunity being cut off, whether that's based in personal identity or not. So when we talk about biblical justice, and we're trying to shape people to have a strong understanding of biblical justice, we want people to understand that we really are 
people who care about equality of opportunity. We don't want any group, we, we don't want any individual to have their God-given dignity and worth trampled. We don't want anyone held back. We do want people to have an equal shot at a blessed life, even in a common grace sense. So there's all kinds of failings along those lines. And we don't start in a fallen world when we're talking about biblical justice from a utopian standpoint. That's part of the problem with social justice writ large is that it is fundamentally utopian, but it doesn't really tell you that up front. So basically a lot of young people today, I think are pulled toward social justice because they think if they just get on the bandwagon of equality of outcome, they'll make the world right. Mm -hmm. We don't start from that socialist or leftist starting point. We start from the standpoint that the world's not gonna be made right by us. It is gonna be made right by Jesus eventually whenever he decides to show up. But fundamentally until that day, we're working for equality of opportunity and we're holding evildoers to account. So those are really the two dimensions of biblical justice that I think are most highlighted in the scripture. Seeking equality of opportunity for Israelites or whoever it may be, or folks in the New Testament era, and then holding evildoers to account. Biblical justice is significantly a doctrine of retribution. Mm -hmm. And you won't often have that laid out by our culture either, but it's very important to note those two dimensions that Christians should, I think, always be looking to try to help advance as much as we can. Yeah. Advance equality of opportunity in different ways, economically or culturally or socially, spiritually, religious liberty, these yeah. kind of things, and then support holding evildoers to account. If, if you are attuned to those dimensions, and if we could get that into the church and get people really concerned about those things, I think that would help. You know, Ray, Owen, talked about the pastor that stood up and basically insinuated that everyone in the church was a racist without knowing their hearts, without knowing their perspective or background. And we see people within the church quickly jump on the bandwagon of the world a lot of times. There's no discernment. How important is it for believers to be in God's word and understand God's word as, as really the solution to not being influenced by the world's lies? Yeah, I just got some microphones for filming, and I didn't read the instruction book. Mm. And I've had nothing but problems for about a week and a half. And one of our tech guys came around home, and he took the time to just read the instructions, and it was fixed like that. God's Word is the instruction book for humanity. Mm. That's all there is to it. And and the the problem with most of us males is that we're like me. Females kind of read instructions because they're kind of small and annoying. But males tend to say, get it out of the roll, just put it together, and you end up with nuts left over, and you wonder why the wheels fall off. That's what the world's done. They ignored the instruction book. It doesn't look at God's word. So every believer should be soaked in the word of God. Yeah. Thy word have I, or your word have I hidden my heart that I might have sinned against you. Colossians 2.8, beware of anyone, lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of man, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. This world thinks differently yeah. than we do. Mm-hmm. It's the counsel of the ungodly, and the Bible promises you'll be blessed if you don't listen to them. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. See, the world is confused that it's it's looking for justice, but it doesn't know why, right? If if we are consider evolution being true, if from goo to you by way of the zoo, then there is no rhyme or reason to anything. So as they try to make sense of everything that is happening, and you're trying to make sense of George Floyd's death, you can't. 
You can't make sense of it because the world looks at George Floyd with instrumental value, but we as Christians look at him with intrinsic value, that we all are created in the image of God and we're worthy of respect and dignity and honor. But we look at, if you're an evolutionist, if you're part of the world system, a secular society, you look at George Floyd and you say, this guy has instrumental value in that he's bringing forth a revolution, right or wrong, bringing forth some change that is needed. Don't know why we need the change, but he's bringing forth a change. If he didn't die, we wouldn't know his name. Hmm. But because he died, he's actually a champion. He's a hero. Let's rip down every other statue and leave his. So as we leave his statue, we're saying, you know what we need? We need to realize that we are valuable. But they don't know why they're valuable. If you're a plumber and I need some plumbing needs, you can come over to my house and we can be friends. If you're not an electrician, come over to my house. You have value because you have instrumental value. George Floyd and the rest of the world has instrumental value. And if you don't have instrumental value, we can't be friends. And this is why we are eliminating babies from the womb because there's no instrumental value. If they're created in the image of God, then they're valuable. Whether you're heterosexual, homosexual, whether you're black or you're white, we need to put people where God has placed them on the same realm and say, you're valuable, but you still need to get born again. Yeah. And unless a man is born again, he's not going to see the kingdom of God. And as R.A. Torrey said, unless you're born again, you're going to wish one day you're never born at all. Uh, yeah, that's really good, Mark. I want to unpack what you started with, which is that re- really we bastardize justice when we remove it from, from looking into God's authority on what it means. And God is the one who ultimately provides a framework and a desire for justice. Tom Holland in his book, Dominion, does a really good job tracing what the scriptures have done in human history. The reason why we in Western society care so much about justice and equality, the reason why words like equality are even of value in our world today is because of the scriptures. But what we tend to do in a secular society is we take that idea that word equality, and we want to get rid of God and then go try to figure out justice and equality for ourselves. We bastardize it, but we need to bring it back to the creator of equality, to the God who is just, to the one who calls us image bearers. And we need to ask him, what does pursuing justice and equality look like in the world? We don't need to ask neo-Marxists that question. Yeah. And you know, when you remove God from the equation of life and from these issues, what you do is you create a facade In other words, the world goes around saying, we're all equal, we're all equal, we're all equal. But internally, there's this sense of, no, we're not. (laughs) Why are we equal? What's the basis for our equality? I'm way bigger than that guy, stronger than that guy, smarter than that guy. I have more money than that guy. What, What do you mean we're equal? And so it's really almost a sense of hypocrisy because there, there's a disconnect between what they're giving lip service to and what they truly believe in their heart because there's that disconnect. And of course, God's law is written on our hearts. That there is that conscious conscience that's at play, but, but that truth is suppressed in unrighteousness as well internally because of man's sin. And so it becomes a charade really. Yeah, that's a great point. And that word hypocrisy is really important because we were told, this is a year ago, we're in 2021, in the summer of 2020, as you know, Molotov cocktails are going through store windows and different businesses are getting torched. And in St. Louis near where I was living at the time, the former police chief of the city, an African-American man is shot in the head. And this is all and killed. This is all social justice. And you just recognize this is justice that is no justice at all. Right. This is what happens when you follow the world system. Justice is real. Justice exists because God exists. God is the one who funds justice. So there is justice in the world, yeah. but we just have to 
help people discern that there are ideologies that will take them captive that don't necessarily use all the bad words that you're not supposed to say. They use the good words that you're supposed to believe in. Tragically, a lot of younger Christians though, hear justice or hear anti-racism or something like, or equity, and they just read into that, oh, I must agree with that because the Bible talks about that. When, if you're watching on your TV screen a year ago, or perhaps in the future, people torching businesses in the name of justice, that is not justice. And we just have to stand here and take what fire comes for saying exactly that. That's not justice. God tells us what justice is. You used the word utopia earlier. And uh, anytime man tries to create a utopia for himself, which is essentially a heaven without God, Mm. it fails miserably. We see that in the beginning with the tower. They wanted to reach the heavens. They basically wanted to bring heaven on earth without the help of God. And it failed miserably. And since then we see it with Lenin and Maoist China and Nazi Germany and Marxism. And so here we are today, basically anytime we try to build a city of utopia, there's gonna be a sewage system, right? We're going to fail miserably. The only way that we are promised heaven on earth is through the kingdom of God through God's version of justice and equality, which starts foremost on the cross. And therein lies what you said earlier, which is the gospel is key to understanding how to pursue these things in the world. And Owen, we we have just a little bit of time left and I want you to speak to that. You know, you've written a couple books that apply to this, Christianity and Wokeness and Reenchanting Humanity. And I'm so thrilled that those books are out there because we need this. There's a dearth, I think, of books on this subject that, again, deal with it with winsomeness, but with unashamed boldness and courage and unaltered truth. But speak to how these elements, wokeness, critical race theory, intersectionality, how they clash with the gospel. Ultimately, what wokeness does, I'll just use that overarching term for the whole system of ideologies we've been discussing. Wokeness teaches you that fundamentally the races are opposed to one another, that white people are the oppressors of people of color. And so you're never going to get unity, peace, justice, fairness, choose your term. You won't get it from these ideologies. The only place to truly get any of those or any other ideal we're after is through Christ, is through our sin being forgiven. And ultimately the gospel doesn't say, the word of God doesn't say, one of you groups out there is especially bad and you're the problem behind society. We're all the problem. Every one of us is fundamentally the problem and we're not fundamentally victims of one another. We do wrong to one another and that can be pretty serious, but Fundamentally, the scripture addresses everyone in the same terms. We are fellow criminals with Adam. In Adam's fall in the Garden of Eden, we fall. We we sin alongside him. Or to put it slightly differently, if we were there, we would have done what he did and Eve did. So all that means that the problem isn't one of these racial groups. The problem is all of us. We have a common problem, our sin, we're criminals. And so what we need is forgiveness of sin. And forgiveness of sin is that which overcomes ideology. It is that which builds the church. It is that which brings us together horizontally when it's affected vertically. It's truly what the world is looking for. The world does not need more division. 
<laughs> There's yeah. plenty of division. What the world needs to see on display, living display is forgiveness, the forgiveness of Jesus Christ that is grounded in the blood of Christ and, and made effectual through the resurrection of Christ. And so when you bring that up to people, I've been in a few debates over wokeness, had a congenial, well-meaning debate with, with a woke theologian not long ago. And we got down to this point and he said, what I wanna see is action. He was basically working from a kind of liberation theology paradigm, a social gospel, to call it a slightly different name. He, he said, I want political change. Mm. And as I've already alluded to earlier, if there are laws on the books that are heinous laws that are effectuating actual racism, take them off, strike them. Yeah. That's justice in action, right? If people are being divided and treated differently according to skin color, strike it, man, it's awful. It's a stench in God's nostrils. But if those laws are now off the books and we're talking about that which is going to heal these breaches in our society, in our communities, it's forgiveness. But forgiveness will be read as weak. He read forgiveness as weak. He read it as what Bonhoeffer called cheap grace. Like, oh, you just say you're sorry to me and then you do nothing to help me. That is not biblical forgiveness. No. Biblical forgiveness is costly. It is grounded in the death of the Son of God for us. And that is what we need. And yeah, we need that forgiveness to take root in us and cause real change in us and in our communities. But fundamentally, we are not a people offering hatred of one group or another as Christians. We are a people proclaiming to the world costly forgiveness that makes us a family in the name of Christ. We could start a new society on an island somewhere, but you take sin with you. It's the same thing's going to happen again if yeah. if we uh, make a city on Mars in the future. What people are talking about, it's going to be wars, oh, rape, true. and everything. Sin things. is portable. You yeah. Know, portable. And <laughs> so what, what I'm I'm trying to say is, when Jesus gave us the the golden rule, as it's called, I don't know why it's called the golden rule, but do to others as you have them do to you. Uh, he gave us the ways and the means of solving life's problems. All these ails. The ways is to love your neighbor as yourself. The means is the gospel because God takes the selfish, hateful heart, the racist heart, and replaces it with love so that a Christian can love his enemies and do good to those that despitefully use them. That will bring about peace on earth because we have peace with God. Amen. Amen. Yeah, you know, I think of Revelation 5 where it's said of Jesus, he, he has redeemed us to God by his blood from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And I just love the imagery of that great throng, you know, standing before Christ, all redeemed equally by his blood, the blood that still flows and touches and heals and transforms. And I love the church, the church universal, because it's made up of people of all different backgrounds and economic situations and intellectual capabilities, what have you. And yet we're all on equal plane before God, all sinners, all deserving of God's wrath and judgment, all saved by the same redeemer who unites us. And so what, what a joy it's been to talk about this in the context of the gospel and to remind people that we need to make the gospel central in everything that we do. And Owen, oh, you know, again, what's, what's been awesome is hearing you talk with others about this. I've listened to, to some of your discussions with people that were far on the other side, mm -hmm. but I've seen you strike that balance. How important is that for our witness as believers to not violate the marks of the 
bondservant of Christ, the, yeah. the marks of the ambassador of Christ and how we dialogue about these issues. Yeah, I'm no perfect apologist or, or Christian by any stretch. We all stumble in many ways, but- um, Your wife is gonna replay that moment on this podcast <laughs> over and over. <laughs> Nobody yeah. played on the tape recorder. Are there still tape recorders? I dated myself. <laughs> but fundamentally what, what our conversation partners need to see alongside that body of truth that is just sound doctrine from the word, it's nothing fancy from us, is a transformed life and a transformed heart. And they need to see that the gospel is not just this proposition we're sharing with them. The gospel is a message, but fundamentally it has changed us. It has claimed us. It's not a makeover, you know, to prettify us. It's a takeover. A divine takeover has been, has been activated in us and it is successful. And it's going to feel weak to us. I think it's very important to say this at the close. It's going to feel weak to just preach the gospel and just stand for the word. In a world of such strong ideology, I mean, you can feel it when you're in conversations. You can feel the passion, you can feel the anger, and you can understand some of it in a historical sense. You can read accounts in American history that boil your blood. Atrocious. Atrocious, and it should boil your blood. But that's not ultimately where Christ's gospel takes you. Hatred and anger and unending seething rage. It takes you to peace and it takes you to a place where you can be claimed by the gospel. And that feels weak. That feels weak in evangelism and apologetics sometimes, but it's strong. Forgiveness is not weak. Forgiveness is the strongest force there is. It is divine. It is from God. So we, we, we just have to keep preaching it even if we feel weak. Amen. What a great way to, to wrap it up, pointing people back to the power of the gospel. And again, Owen, I want people to get a hold of your books. I want people to get a hold of you. People that are <laughs> listening that are like, man, we want to bring this guy out to our church or we want him to speak at our conference, which again, you have impacted so many because of that. Again, the books are Christianity and Wokeness, Reenchanting Humanity. And Owen, how can people get in touch with you? Where can they find you? That's very kind, easy. They could find me on my Twitter, I guess. It's at O-S-T-R-A-C-H-A-N. I have a podcast called The Antithesis, Mm -hmm. so they could check that out. Those are a few places. And your home address is? My home, my credit (laughs) card number. number. Yeah, Yeah, credit card number is, that's not gonna get them very far. (laughs) Hey, reparations, man, that might work. (laughs) Well, what a blessing it's been to have you. And friends, those of you that are listening, those of you that are watching, make sure to check out the podcast. I don't wanna boast or brag. It's really, thank you, Lord. We're actually shocked, but we had recently hit the top 100. I think we were number 90. 91, 90. Yeah, Yeah, I think we got down to 90. It's in the Christian uh, In terms of top Christian podcasts on the Apple platform. In a month in. Yeah, and we're just like, whoa. So we're grateful to the Lord and and we're grateful. 80% of those listens are me and you. (laughs) That's what I figured, (laughs) it must be. But we're grateful to those of you that, that have subscribed to the podcast and that have also rated it, sent in a comment and then shared it with others. Please make sure to do that. And also email us at podcast at livingwaters.com, podcast at livingwaters.com, and uh, give us feedback. Let us know how much you love me <laughs> and how we can be a blessing to you by the topics that we touch on. Uh, we love that. And we love you. And thank you. And God bless you. What are you laughing at, Oscar? <laughs> can, can you just close a podcast like a normal person? <laughs> no. Thank you for joining us for the Living Waters podcast.
Winners, winners, winners. That's you, friends. Those of you who I'm about to announce are the winners of this week's podcast giveaway on the Living Waters podcast. We've got Carlos from Lamont, California, Daniel from Jamestown, North Carolina, Ed Washburn from Tennessee, David Norwood from North Carolina, Doug Campobello from South Carolina, Ali from Falls Church, Virginia, Adrian from Hattiesburg, Mississippi, Joshua from Excelsior Springs, Missouri, Eva from Bow Island, Canada, and Penelope from Bardwell Park, Australia. Shout out to the Aussies and the Canadians out there. Friends, you can get this too. Those of you who are listening, just share the word and sign up for the Living Waters Podcast.